Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just a quick note before the show starts. We recorded this earlier today before Stephen Matz was traded to the Blue Jays. So disregard any Matz talk. Sorry. Bye. Hi Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris. And Chris, we are recording uh, You know, on a Wednesday, January 27th. We are um, we're in between sort of big Mets things. I presume there's a few more free agent signings or trades to come, and we'll touch on those maybe in a little bit. But we, uh, we, we're going to very briefly touch on some of the, the big events from the last few weeks. Our friends at A Pot of Their Own did a show last night that more than covers the um, Jared Porter situation and touches on the Trevor Bauer situation as well. So I don't want to spend too much time with that because hopefully our listeners listen to their show as well. But obviously the Porter situation was a mess that uh, aside from Sandy Alderson seemingly accidentally revealing the the uh, country of origin of the reporter – I think the Mets handled that situation about as well as they could have. They acted swiftly and got him out of there, you know, less than 12 hours after the story broke. Do you have any sort of overarching Jared Porter thoughts before we move on? No, I I think that pretty much sums it up. You know, they, I, I can't fault them too much for not knowing about it beforehand. Uh, I, I do think the one thing that came up during the press conference that was 
a, a good point was the question that he got asked of whether or not the Mets had consulted with any women uh, about Porter's personality, you know, character really is, is the more important thing here. Um, and his answer was an honest no. And I, I think he accurately said that reflects the issue that the sport has, that there aren't that many women in front offices, uh, especially on the baseball operations side of thing, things. Um, and it, it was pointed out afterwards that uh, the Red Sox uh, have a woman in, in their front office who worked with him, you know, would have worked with him. Um, so I think there was some learning experiences for the Mets and maybe baseball at large that came out of all this. Um, but 98% of the blame here goes to Porter for doing what he did. Of course. Of course. So uh, I, I think there are lessons to be learned. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think really you should listen to Apato <laughs> on, on, on this instead of us two dudes. Yes. Um, yes. But um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. But it's uh, it's not the, the Mets don't get off the hook completely. They did still hire the guy, uh, you know. But I can I can at least believe that they didn't know about those messages. Agreed. And that only the reporter and ESPN and and maybe a few people who were around either the reporter or Jared Porter. Um, at that time, were the ones who knew about that behavior. So, yeah, yes. we never really got to know him, and and now I don't. That's not a bad thing, given what we know now. <laughs> sure, but yeah. you know, he barely even spoke during his introductory or the press conferences since. So, um, I, I don't know. It's the the story and the larger picture of uh, you know for the world of professional sports and, and baseball in particular, that should not be forgotten. But Porter himself, I feel like will be forgotten because, you know, time marches on. Yeah. Other general managers will, will step in. They will run the Mets and he will be a blip in franchise history. So hopefully he will be the answer to a bar trivia question. Like what GM traded for Francisco Lindor? Right. And that's it. <laughs> that's the yeah. extent of his legacy. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, every other former Mets general manager. I mean, oh, Steve Phillips. The, he, I don't know. I don't know if he necessarily looks better in, in light of this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the the new worst manager in franchise history has been established. Uh, general manager in franchise history has been established. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But we we should also say that the Mets today announced uh, Zach Scott as the acting general manager, which was pretty much presumed, but now that is official. And Scott was reportedly the runner-up to the job, so it's not like the Mets are dipping too far into the um, you know, into the recesses to get this guy. This is somebody they felt confident enough to hire and was you know second in the running for GM. So hopefully he is going to work out fine. It is worth pointing out, and I would not be the first person to do this, the incredible symmetry of both Carlos Beltran and um, and Jared Porter being fired after hiring but before a season for actions that happened before they were part of the Mets organization. 
two years in a row. Very, very strange how that happens. That almost never happens in sports, let alone in the same sport, let alone for the same team, let alone in back-to-back years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, how, how fitting that even in a new era of the Mets, that uh, it would be them Yes. to hire someone who is revealed to have behaved that way. Um, certain things transcend the, <laughs> you know, the changes that go on. Uh, and, and apparently this is one of them. Uh, but here, hopefully they can be more thorough moving forward and, you know, not make this kind of mistake and not permit that kind of behavior uh, within their organization itself. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, you know, we, we said we're not going to spend too much time on Trevor Bauer, and I don't want to, but I, I do think that if the Porter story had not broken, Bauer would already be a Met, possibly. I think that after the Porter situation, and again, I, we have no inside sources on this. This is just my gut and knowing how risk-averse Sandy Alderson can be and also knowing how Steve Cohen is going to care far more about how he is seen to Mets fans than I think the Wilpons ever did. It just seems like a guy who has a history of, um, I'll say this nicely, behaving a little bit badly online. I think that guy is, um, and that guy's a really poor signing for the team to make right now. And so I wonder if they did speak to some women about Trevor Bauer and maybe got a different opinion than they would have if this was pre-Porter. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would hope so. You, yeah. you want to you, you want to as a fan be objective uh, and, and in my mind I, I want to think that uh, Sandy Alderson is operating with integrity um, his reputation itself is certainly a very strong one in his decades working in, in baseball now so uh, obviously you have to be critical when necessary and, and, and think, uh, about the possibilities of, of, you know, his actions and his words. But, you know, this is a guy who's a, a former Marine and always been seen as sort of the steady hand, uh, which is why he wound up as the Mets general manager when the team should have been really forced to sell. Uh, when it was operating in post Madoff mode, but you'd like to think there's the, there's something to that. Uh, whether they sign Bauer or not, I guess we'll, you know, speak uh, one way or another on that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Mike Puma who had specified that, you know, the yet uh, yesterday there was a lot of chatter on Twitter. Um, started by Bob Nightingale that the Mets had this crazy high AAV offer out to Bauer and and all that. And Mike Puma clarified that whatever offer they made to Bauer was several weeks ago. So I I hope you're, you're right. It, you know, you, did, you could look at that timeline and reasonably say that may have changed their behavior. But this version of the Mets, the, the biggest difference... Aside from uh, 
you know, the, the actual moves they've made with, with their players so far is that they've been very tight-lipped. Most of the news that's come out has either come out, uh, what, five minutes or 30 minutes before the Mets announced it themselves. So, yep. um, so it's just hard. There's not a ton of insight into what their process has been and what their thinking has been from the night the Porter news broke until now regarding Trevor Bauer. And, you know, to, to be clear, um, it's unfair. Nobody has accused Bauer of doing what Porter did, but just because they're different things doesn't mean that one is totally excusable in in Bauer's right, case. Right. I also, I mean, I think Bauer. It's kind of the perfect storm of of everything. And again, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I feel like Bauer had a good season in a shortened season. And that's one of only two good seasons he's ever had as a starting pitcher. So even if he was the most milk toast, um, you know, boring professional athlete guy, I would not necessarily think that you want to sign a guy coming off the Cy Young season with that short of a track record. I mean, you could almost say the same thing for James McCann, but McCann is at a position where there is a higher premium on um, – there's just not as many – there's not as many catchers as there are starting pitchers. And so your catching options are going to be somewhat limited no matter what. And, you know, it just seemed like, again, we don't have to relitigate the McCann signing now. But I, so I think that Bauer would, would be probably an overspend no matter what. When you take into account his behavior online and offline, specifically his behavior around women, it's just something I would not want to touch with a 10-foot pole. And it's I have to say, you know, the Amazing Avenue staff has been very, very vocal internally and forward-facing about our desire to not have Bauer on the team. And it's going to be very odd if he becomes a Met to see, or very interesting, rather, to see how we all handle this. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess my last thought on it is just there's... Uh, to your point, if you're the Mets, you can choose not to sign him for baseball reasons, non-baseball reasons, or both. Right. Uh, and you can and you can present it that way if you choose to, you know, give some information to a reporter to to get that out there. Uh, and you know that that'll address. Whichever kind of fan it is, yeah. Obviously, that you you could have fans that are uh, wouldn't object to signing him for either of those reasons, or some might object for one or the other, but not both. And and then fans who object on both grounds, but you could present it either way, and very likely make it um, make just as much of the fan base happy if that makes any sense that's sure. not the most important part of this but it you could justify passing on him and letting the angels pay more the dodgers or or whatever team uh and you could absolutely justify it on either of those grounds and i'm hoping that's what happens and yeah we'll 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 take it from there if they do sign him then you know we will I think go a little more in depth. Yes, absolutely. Um, but you know, the reason we wanted to get together and, and do a podcast today was we, we've been seeing a lot of people talking about 
what they're calling the Mets inaction this offseason and how they feel that the Mets have not done enough. And while I think that neither one of us would argue that the Mets have done enough yet this offseason, I think portraying this as a poor offseason is a really bad take. Um, and I, we should just say we're not talking about the Porter stuff. I, I think that it's undoubtedly bad the Mets hired a sex pest, and it's undoubtedly good they got rid of that sex pest, right? That's We're not talking about that. We're talking about the moves that the team made. I think that because the Mets lost out on George Springer and lost out on Brad Hand, there is this perception that the Mets didn't do enough. And I just want us to – I'm only going to mention the major league deals that they've done so far, but they signed James McCann to be the new catcher. I think – Almost everybody would say that's an improvement over Wilson Ramos, even if people would have rathered JT Real Muto. You know, due respect to that, I, I think I would have preferred Real Muto, but I think McCann is a is certainly an upgrade for what they were going into 2020 with. They have traded for Cookie Carrasco and for Joey Lucchese. I think both of those guys are superior to Michael Waka or Rick Porcello or Steven Matz, and potentially David Peterson. Although we just don't know enough about Peterson yet, so I think it's a little bit early to say one way or the other, but those are both guys with the, have some upside. Uh, the amount of upside they have may differ from opinion to opinion, but they have some upside. They signed Trevor May, who instantly improves their bullpen considerably. They also traded for the best shortstop in baseball in Francisco Lindor. I don't see how you can look at all of those improvements and not think the Mets thus far are having a good offseason. Am I forgetting a major move there, or is that just about every all the major moves? Yeah, I think you hit on all of them, and it's a valid point. Um, I hate to imagine what the offseason would have looked like from a baseball operations standpoint if the Wilpons were still here. Uh, um, I think they might not have signed anybody uh, and certainly not traded for a generational talent uh, who presumably the team is trying to extend for a long time in Francisco Lindor. So there are, there are things that I would prefer, uh, you know, uh, I would have preferred JT Real Muto to James McCann, but McCann's pretty good. They they made a significant upgrade from what they had over the last couple of years uh, with Wilson Ramos, and then certainly over the situation they had where they didn't have a starting catcher to start the offseason. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think you've hit on, on everything, and I, I want them to do more, but I... I think the sequence of things changes the perception. You know, when, when the Yankees uh, signed DJ LeMahieu, uh, these abbreviated name guys are like throwing me off here today. <laughs> but when they, when they signed LeMahieu, it was, it was sort of like, uh, okay, cool. Good for you. Not that there's always a comparison between being a Mets fan and, and a Yankees fan and, doing that but the shine hadn't come off the very good trade that they made with cleveland yet 
And to me, it never should. But it's just funny how the the perception there was. Uh, I think everybody always assumed that he was going back to the Yankees. I know his name was mentioned in a couple of rumors at, at various points of the offseason in connection with uh, with the Mets. But the sequencing just seems to matter. If George Springer signed with Toronto when the Mets made the trade, and then LeMahieu signed with the Yankees, and then the Mets made the Lindor-Carrasco trade, I think the entire mood would be different. It would have been miserable, you know, three weeks ago, a week and a half ago, what, you know, uh, at, at those points. But people would be feeling that high uh, that, that they felt when the Lindor trade happened. That, that was probably the most exciting day as a Mets fan since the, uh, you know, the relevant games late in 2019. When City Field was rocking, the pandemic wasn't here yet, and the Mets were, you know, sort of forcing themselves uh, into the playoff conversation after having started the season poorly. Yeah. So, I I do think that matters, um, but I don't know. You just can't lose sight of the fact that Carrasco could be the team's number two pitcher, even if Marcus Stroman is very good uh, and Noah Syndergaard comes back. He could still be the number two pitcher in that context. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that that's not nothing. And uh, that was a significant need. And I think that gives them a little bit more flexibility as they look at a rotation for, for opening day. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there have been a number of minor league deals, whether it's um, Jose Martinez that came in last week, two weeks ago now, I believe. Um, you know, uh, Jerry Blevins coming back into the fold, which you know, I'm always in support of more, more Gordo. Um, you know, it's, it's just too early to say that the offseason is done when Trevor Bauer, even though I don't want him, and Jackie Bradley Jr. and any number of other players that could improve the Mets are still out there. You know, this front office has played played things so close to the vest, as you said earlier. You know, literally anytime my phone buzzes with an MLB news update, it I'm thinking it could be anything with the Mets because they just they don't leak stuff. And so, you know, somebody said in the Mason Avenue Slack last night, like you know, we might wake up tomorrow to find out that the Mets traded for Nolan Arenado. And as surprising as that would be, it wouldn't. The way we found out wouldn't be the surprising part, because they just. This is just how this team operates, and so. I, I just I have a really hard time saying this has been a poor off season when you see how much the team has improved since opening day, or since it's rather the end of the season, and I also think that there's almost no other. And there's certainly no no NL East team that has improved as much as the Mets had have, right? I mean, and let's talk for a second about the two big players that got away. Brad Hand reportedly wants to close, and so that is why he did not sign with the Mets. Don't forget that Sandy Alderson said if he were in charge, he would have claimed Brad Hand off of waivers at the end of the season when he was placed there. So 
if you want to be mad at somebody for Brad Hand not being a Met, be mad at the Wilpons because they probably did not allow uh, Brody Van Wagenen to do that, even when that would would have made imminent sense, an infinite. It would make sense at any time during the Mets during the off season, but it would have been so easy to do it. You would have done it for ten million dollars, which is half a million less than he's making now. So you want to blame somebody for Brad Hand not being a Met? Blame the Wilpons because Sandy would have done that if he had been in charge at the time. And George Springer, you know, sometimes money just talks. And the Blue Jays upped their offer to Springer, and the Mets weren't willing to go there. And that happens, and that happens to good teams, that happens to bad teams, that just happens. I don't think that lambasting the new Mets front office for not for not signing those two guys makes a lick of sense when you look at the context there. And look... They're hopefully signing Lindor to a long-term extension. They're hopefully entering entering into extension talks with folks like Conforto and maybe Syndergaard, maybe Stroman. So while there's a lot of money in the Mets or in the Mets radar right now, there's also a lot of places to spend that money that fans would be upset if they couldn't do. And I think that Springer, with his um, with his uh, sense. Hang on a second. Uh, Aaron Loop has been signed by the Mets. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so the Mets have a new bullpen piece. Aaron Loop. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, lost my train of thought there. <laughs> uh, the, the, the fact the fact that Springer was an Astro, uh, I think, was going to always be an issue as soon as he hit a skid. People are going to talk about the cheating scandal, and Mets fans are going to get real tired of that real fast. And I, I think that if you talk to a lot of people, they would rather have um, Lindor as a Met long term, or rather have an extended Conforto or an extended Syndergaard than have Springer. And as much fun as it would be to just be able to sign everybody all the time, that's not how it works. And I'm not making excuses for the front office. I don't. Uh, I think there have been some things they messed up, but I do not think that that it's been as bad as people have been have been saying it has been. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and look, uh, this is something that I think has been on my mind uh, the the entire way that we had to think about payroll and obsess over every dollar of it and everything for a decade, decade and a half. Uh, before Steve Cohen bought the team, as fans, it, you would you could say the same kinds of things about uh, you know they shouldn't artificially limit payroll so much they shouldn't care about the luxury tax and all that. Uh, but even among like-minded Mets fans, you can still get a reaction of like, well, that's the way it is. So just acknowledge that, which was always frustrating to me because it was. They, the Wilpons were still holding on to what turned out to be an extremely valuable asset that they sold for $2.5 billion. Mm-hmm. And they could have afforded... They, they could have done more with payroll and been clearer about it uh, and, and made more money available uh, to, the, to the extent that they were allowed to with all of the various things they were uh, you know, involved in financially but now i i 
do not care at all if Steve Cohen has to spend more money. Um, I don't care if he has to pay luxury tax. It's a major relief that he owns the team instead of the Wilpons. You know, they, they could do the best at each position all the time if they choose to. There's nothing, uh, you know, nothing in the rules that prevents them from doing that. But, um, but, but that, that's still, you know, it's, there's still the other side of it where the players have to agree too. Well, yeah, yeah, you know that, and that is important to remember, you know, it's, I, I, I guess I don't want them to be conservative with this sort of thing. Uh, but I can at least understand, although I may not fully agree with it, I can at least understand saying, okay, how many guys are going to be locked up for 25 plus million per year for, for the long term? And, you know, how does that affect our planning going forward? Uh, the next CBA doesn't exist yet. Uh, what is the luxury tax going to look like? And, and again, I don't care about that. But what's that going to look like? And there, there's some planning aspect to it. I understand that. Um, but if the big money goes to Lindor, then that to me, he's better than either of the players they didn't sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's much more important to a franchise than, uh, than Trevor Bauer, in my opinion. Uh, I think there's just immense value in Lindor and Bauer is a, you know, a, a question mark strictly on the baseball side. His last full season didn't go well, you know, and I've, I've been saying this throughout the winter. If, uh, you know, if he were to have his 2019 season while making $35 million in New York, <laughs> I cannot imagine how poorly that would go. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to say about this before we move on is that there's also a chance. I don't know how good of a chance is. I don't know the dude from Adam, but there's a chance that Springer got turned off by the Porter thing. Could be. We just don't know. And so, um, you know, I, I I guess that's my point with all of this. We just don't know so much about how these negotiations go. And again, this is not providing cover for the front office. I think. If the front office had done nothing, if there hadn't been Lindor, if there hadn't been McCann, and they still missed out on Springer, then you are absolutely fine to say, why the fuck do you have a billionaire as your owner if you're not going to spend? But I just I, I, I just don't see it yet. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, so Aaron Loop is a Met. <laughs> we found out about this. Again, talking about the um, the, the timeline here. Uh, Anthony DeComo tweeted at 2.33 p.m. that the Mets are zeroing in on Aaron Loop. Then the deal was announced at 3.40 p.m. I'm sorry, 3.38 p.m. So, yeah, essentially uh, one hour and five minutes later. That is yeah. the most lead time we've had on any Mets signing <laughs> under the uh, under the Cohen ownership. It feels yeah. Like. <laughs> um. You have Aaron Loop's Fangraphs page pulled up. So, uh, what's Aaron Loop like as a pitcher, Chris? Enlighten us. So, yeah, it's funny. I, he's a 33 year old lefty, and I would have guessed he was older than that just because it feels like he's been around for for quite some time. Um, and I feel like his name has come up. I'd have to go back and look to see if this actually happened, but I feel like it's come up at various times over the last eight, nine years um, as a Mets rumor. Uh, he's been a reliever exclusively in his career. He, in his better seasons, he's going to strike some guys out, but not, not a heavy strikeout pitcher. Um, had a nice short season with the, uh, with the Rays last year, 2.52 ERA. Uh, but, you know, it, this is a, an okay left-handed relief pitcher. Uh, presumably, we, we haven't seen yet what the deal is, but presumably it'll be not a ton of money and not long-term. We uh, do know it's a one-year deal. Okay. Yeah. So there we go. Um, yeah. And he's not somebody who's thrown super hard, but... Averaging uh, in, in the low 90s with his fastball, he's kind of stayed there. Uh, you know, Brooks has him had him at 92.8 last year. Uh, he's been 92 and change for the last four seasons now. Uh, and, and, you know, in that regard, he, he threw a little bit harder uh, a few years before that. But, you know, this isn't somebody who is like uh, Batansis, who, uh, although he's right-handed, used to average 98 and now averages 92, 93. Right. Um, so he's fine. Uh, I, I think they, despite the three batter minimum rule, I think they need to at least go into the season with the option of having a left-handed reliever in the opening day bullpen. And, uh, I'll be rooting for Jerry Blevins. I, <laughs> I hope he's fantastic. Uh, but you know, he, he didn't pitch last year and, uh, he, he's a little bit older than loop. And if this gives them the choice to go with one or the other, uh, you know, obviously loop would have the leg up based on, uh, the, the type of signing he is, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's fine. And, they need a little bit more. It's fine, because um, that four through eight part of the uh, of the bullpen 
it's a little shaky. Yeah. It's it's not awful, but it's definitely not nearly as good as Diaz Lugo May. Right. Um So yeah, I I feel like I hadn't heard Aaron Loop's name in quite some time until this afternoon. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> but you know, he he could be a useful part of the bullpen, uh but I would still like them to do a little bit more than that between now and spring training. And, you know, I guess the, the devil's advocate response to that would be, uh, well, what are they going to do with the roster spots? But if Brad Brock or even Batances gets to, you know, the middle or end of spring training and there's not a roster spot for him, so be it. You know, if they, if they're out there and, their spring performance doesn't inspire any confidence coming off of bad seasons last year, then, you know, waivers are there for a reason. And if they get claimed or if they refuse an assignment to Syracuse, then, uh, that, then you move on. If you have a little more certainty with, uh, with some of the other arms that are out there. So, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, you know, this is one of those things that is going to uh, maybe piss some people off because of the timing. I feel like when everybody was thinking our lefty out of the bullpen is going to be Brad Hand, everybody got very excited. And Aaron Loop is certainly a a downgrade from Brad Hand. But name a lefty reliever who's probably not a downgrade from Brad Hand right now, right? So... I think if if Brad Hand had never been rumored to be going to the Mets, this move would be thought of quite differently than it is right now. And that's that's not a defense of the move. It's just I think that's just how it is. Um, right. You know, I, I think it's a fine move. I think that the bullpen is one of those areas that lots of people. This is not exclusive to uh, Amazing Avenue, but we have been saying for years. You know, the way to potentially solve a bullpen is just to throw as many arms in the bullpen as possible and to see what sticks. And so if this is one of a flurry of moves that happens over the next few weeks that brings people into this uh, bullpen situation, that's a good thing. Um, you know, and and again, I don't think that this is... You know, if this was the Wilpons, this would have been their bull, their one bullpen move for the year. <laughs> or, or Trevor May <laughs> might have been the one bullpen move for the year. This is not that. Um, yeah, I have... I have no strong opinions on Aaron Loop, and for the you know likely fifth or sixth guy out of the bullpen, that's probably fine. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, again uh, one or two more. It's fine signings would be nice. Uh, one more like exciting one would be nicer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, uh, in in the bullpen specifically, but yeah, if he's in the major league bullpen. Uh, it's something that you can not lose any sleep over. So yeah, agreed. Um, so so on this topic, you know, the Mets have now added a lefty to the bullpen. What else do you feel like the team absolutely has to do before opening day? Is there a move or two that you think is more or less essential? And if so, do you have people in mind for those roles? Well, uh, I do think a pitcher, a starting pitcher who 
would make significantly less money and require fewer years uh, and, than Bauer would be nice to bring into the fold. Uh, I like the trade for uh, Lucchese. Um, he, Peterson, and Steven Matz, I think, are all capable of being back-end uh, major league starting pitchers. But I would love to bump everybody down even one more spot on that depth chart. Uh, if, if those three pitchers were competing for the fifth spot in the rotation and you had penciled in DeGrom, uh, Stroman, Carrasco, somebody new, and then a three-way competition for that five spot, uh, I'd be more comfortable. Uh, I don't have super strong feelings about who that should be. Uh, I know Jake Odorizzi's out, still out there. Uh, he, he might be among the more expensive options not that he would be um you know the highest paid pitcher on the staff even but um he might take a little bit more of a commitment but there are still quite a few free agent starting pitchers and uh whether it, it was james paxton i have no idea what uh, tanaka's market looks like obviously uh, you'd have... r- rumor is he's going back to japan oh really yeah Okay, well, never mind. You'd have the whole ex Yankee factor there. Um, you were running errands today while all this stuff happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Taiwan Walker is another guy. Uh, Trevor Williams, I think, was briefly linked to the Mets, specifically with Porter's involvement before he was fired by the team. Uh, I don't know if there's still any interest there. Um, there are enough pitchers out there who you could reasonably bring in and say you know they're as good of a bet or a better bet to be a a solid number four or number five starter uh, on the team and not be in a spot that uh you know to sorry to bring up bauer again but one of the things that we heard was that if they were to sign him uh they had a trade lined up to basically trade Steven Matz away because of his $5 million salary. Um, I am over watching Matz, but I will, you know, I acknowledge that he could still be a useful starting pitcher. So I would rather have that quantity of, of guys who might be able to be that kind of pitcher and a less expensive starter uh, as the new addition so that you could have several arms uh, to fill those spots on opening day. And I think as this season plays out, uh, you know, one thing that gets talked about by the end of any season is how many different pitchers did a team use in its rotation over the course of that season. And coming off last year when people barely played, uh, I think those numbers might be as high as they've ever been. Uh, this season I even if you're not dealing with injuries uh, fatigue has to be somewhat of a factor if the workload of last year matters at all and one thing that's been pretty consistently uh, mentioned in, in the baseball world is the idea of last year's workload having some impact on 
what you're doing this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it was overstated in terms of uh, Tom Verducci's piece from years ago that wasn't exactly scientific in, in breaking down innings increases and those sorts of things. But as good, as great as these guys are at, at being in shape and being athletes, I just won't be surprised if every team needs, you know, 30 to 40 starts out of the 162 games that right now are on the schedule uh, to be covered by somebody who wasn't in that opening day rotation because, you know, plan A uh, needs a, needs to skip a start. His arm, you know, his arm is fine, but he, he needs to skip a start here and there, um, you know, try to balance things out a little bit. So the fact that the Mets have such good quality at the top of the rotation has me leaning more towards quantity at the back end. That makes total sense. That makes absolute sense. And, and I, it, I, be- I believe Lucchese still has an option left, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he and Peterson can both... Uh, be sent to Syracuse if necessary. And I know some people might lose it over the, you know, Peterson going there to start the season. But if he's continuing to hone his craft in a few minor league starts and is the first person available when you have that need, uh, that's not really a bad thing. Um, no. So, yeah, that that's kind of my focus. And then the other two, I, I, I don't have anything super specific, but a backup catcher. Um, I'm not buying Tomas Nito. I realized that he, he might just be the backup catcher. There aren't that many out there, but if they can bring somebody in to pair with James McCann, I'd like to see that. And I do think they need somebody who can play center field uh, if needed on an everyday basis. And I know that if there's no DH that Dom Smith probably loses the most playing time and he's been an excellent hitter. Uh, but I think you at least need to have that option. Um, a roster just kind of needs that kind of player. Um, so yeah, nothing, nothing earth shattering here. These are sort of the Mets most obvious needs, but my preference would be that, uh, you know, if the interest in Jackie Bradley Jr. is real. Um, to me, he makes a lot of sense for this team. Agreed. <clears throat> what about you? <laughs> any, yeah. any center field's the big one for me. Um, I actually think that the Mets bullpen is going to be better than people think it's going to be. That isn't me saying I don't want them to sign a few more players. I think they should, but I think that if if Diaz is if Diaz is closer to um, 2018 and 2020 versus 2019, I think that's going to be a a major, major improvement for them over the course of a 162-game season. I think that Trevor May is going to be a really nice addition to the bullpen. I think having uh, Seth Lugo as a permanent or as permanent as you can be, member of the bullpen, is also an improvement over last season. So I think that the Mets bullpen is going to be okay. I still would like them to sign another couple guys, of course, but um, you know, but I think that the bullpen is in better shape than 
maybe I was thinking it was just a few weeks ago. The more I think about it, the more I'm not okay with the bullpen, but I feel better about the bullpen than I did before. Um, I would love to see another starting pitcher or two added on um, either maybe one major league contract, maybe a couple of minor league deals. You know, I had written yesterday about a couple of players the Mets might bring in, uh, one of which um, is Colin McHugh, who did not pitch in 2020 because of an elbow issue. But, you know, I think that there are enough of the Colin McHugh types out there that you could probably bring in one or two guys of that ilk for very little money just for depth, and maybe one of them has a fantastic spring, and then you go from there. Either as a long man or a swing man who would be you know, in your bullpen but could start games here and there. Or there's an outside shot, I suppose, that McHugh could, you know, win the fifth starter job, although I wouldn't necessarily bank on that. Um, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. makes too much sense for the Mets not to do, especially with them losing out on Springer. It just seems um, it just seems like it makes sense. Make it happen. Let's stop talking about the bad outfield defense has been a mess, Mets staple since I, when was the last time the Mets was Angel Pagan the last time they had a center fielder who Mets fans didn't complain about probably yeah I, I, I think so people complained a lot about um, Ligaris yeah I mean at least Ligaris was in, until more recently he was very capable at playing center field yes um, you know, some of his more recent appearances on the Mets, the, the bat was light and his center field defense seemed to have slipped a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and one of his downfalls in his time with the team, uh, was just that he went all out on defense and injured himself several times doing so. Um, right. you know, which is tough cause you, you, you respect that effort and commitment to that part of his game, but it, it also hurt him and to some extent the, the team when it happened multiple times. So, you know, but hey, he he lit it up in the Dominican League, like just destroying baseballs for home runs and everything. So if, if there's some resurgence there and he comes back into camp and, and looks like that in spring training, what the hell? Why not? Juan Ligara's backup outfielder. Um sure. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think Malik Smith, I, one thing I will admit is I have no idea if he's really a, a you know, above average defender in center. I, I'm, I don't think just based on his playing time, I don't know that you could, I don't know, assume that's the case. Um, but his game is fun. And if he was capable of that, he is one of the minor league signings the Mets made before the sale even went through. Uh, and he could be a, a fun player to watch. But, yeah, these are all – like, ooh, that would be neat. Oh, and before we before we move on from that would be neat, I know I wrote about him on the site earlier in the week. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess the Mets are just determined to never get a good season out of Darren O'Day. <laughs> he signed with the Yankees for one year, two point five million. Uh, we, we don't, unless something's changed, we don't know what Aaron Loop got. But uh, and obviously they are different pitchers. Uh, they they throw with different hands. They do different things. But I don't know. It would be cool while Darren O'Day is still 
putting up sub three ERAs to have him spend one season back with the Mets after he was on the team for four games in 2009. Yes. Yes. I, I, I had forgotten until you wrote about it this week that, um, that the reason that he did not stick with the team was because the Mets did not want to put Mike Pelfrey on the DL. And so therefore had to option uh, O'Day to get a spot starter in there. And that's why they lost him. And that is among the dumber moves that the Mets did during that time. And there were lots of dumb moves the Mets did during that time. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of the, you know, coming down off the six, seven, eight, peak yeah Yeah. uh we should also uh, i should also mention i'm just gonna plug my own piece here i I started to write this piece as a troll and then came around actually thinking the mess should sign colin McHugh, oliver perez and he's petit to deals (laughs) um again not perfect players but petite especially i would i would totally sign that guy for uh to my only deal right now yeah and that you know one thing with him is that he he averages more than an inning per outing um you know he's not like a three inning guy every time he goes out there but he's a guy who can give you more than an inning and he's been pretty effective throughout his career and uh it doesn't feel like as long ago as it, as it was that jeff paternostra was you know Loving him as one of his guys when he was coming up uh, in the Met system, or or at least you know after having been traded out of it uh, in the Carlos Delgado deal um, back before the Mets had that peak in in 2006 and the two seasons that followed. But yeah, he would make a lot of sense to me as if if you're just looking at specific spots. Um, you bring him on board and you pencil him in and then Brad Brock, Dylan Batances and um, Miguel Castro. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you can throw Familia in there too. It's just, he's, he's making the most money out of all of them. And, and as much as I want to think that this is a different era, it just matters. Like the guy who's making more money is going to get a longer leash. Yep. Um, whether it's the, right decision or not but if those three guys are competing for two spots instead of penciled into three that's another step forward and i think those marginal differences could make a big difference because the mets are pretty good they're you know they're on the cusp of the nobody's going to say they're the dodgers and their roster's great top to bottom and they got a stacked farm system to back it up but they're on the cusp of the you know serious playoff contender tier um so little moves like that can matter so i i'd I'd be all about that one and i think oliver perez will probably have a better 2021 season than aaron loop yeah and has a much stronger mustache game yes he looks good with all the gray he does (laughs) first of all he is uh he's only slightly older than me and only slightly grayer than me, so I can't I can't hate on his age or his gray hair, and he has a better mustache than I have. So, you know, what's not to like about Oliver Perez? I know that a certain segment of our listeners are just burning with rage right now at us talking about bringing back Oliver Perez. 
just just burning with rage. Um, but yeah, that's it for me. You know, another starter, a center fielder, a backup catcher will be nice. Um, but you know, I, I think that yeah, it'll be nice. But there are, there are just so there are just so many. There are only so many backup catchers out there. So yeah. Um, let's move on to our final segment, which is as always our music picks. Chris, what are you listening to this week? Uh, so I will recommend a record of somebody who looking back, I'm surprised I haven't recommended anything by him, uh, officially here. Um, and his music is, uh, I, I listen to it a good amount. Um, uh, you know, it's not up there with some of the bands that I listen to constantly, but, uh, Kevin Morby is the artist and you know, I've seen him. I've not gone to just a Kevin Morby show, but I've certainly seen him at solid sound <clears throat> and desert days. Uh, Cause I only go to music festivals that <laughs> use a, a, a light form of alliteration. Um, <laughs> but I've seen him at both and I, I had uh, even sky blue sky has two S's that that's true. Yeah. <laughs> You know, what, what can I say? But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, his music—it's um, not—it's not slow, but it's always relaxing, if that makes sense. Uh, and the album I'm recommending uh, this week is City Music, which came out in 2017. He uh, he put out a record in 2019. He actually put one out in 2020 that I didn't even know about until I was looking at what I was going to recommend for this. Um, and he's got a few other songs that are, you know, that are up there. Uh, but the song City Music on the album of the of that name uh, is one of his best, I think. Uh, I, I always enjoy listening to it. Uh, and, and the whole album is, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's fitting for winter, which always feels like a slower season, uh, just in terms of passing time and and there's something about it that it's just uh i don't know it's good music when you feel like you need to come inside and you know warm up and the temperature has been dropping outside a little bit more over the you know the last couple of weeks than i think earlier so <clears throat> just seems like uh, a good fit so yeah there you go all right. Um, I am going to honor somebody we lost recently. Um, I would. I, I think we should probably also mention we lost Hank Aaron over the last few weeks. And though not a Met, an incredibly important person in baseball. Absolutely. Seemingly one, seemingly one of the best people to ever play the game, as well as one of the best hitters. When, when, when you look at the consistency of Hank Aaron, it's fucking crazy how good he was for how long. Um but Hank Aaron, to my knowledge, did not record an album, so we can't pick him for my pick. Mm-hmm. I am going to pick uh, the debut album by the New York Dolls, though. We lost Sylvain Sylvain, the rhythm guitarist and one of the songwriters uh, and, and piano players uh, for the uh, New York Dolls. For those that don't know the Dolls, they were uh, an early 70s New York band that sort of bridged the gap between like garage rock and a little bit of glam and some proto-punk stuff, and they were a huge, huge deal in the burgeoning New York music scene that eventually led to punk rock. Um, Their first album is, and maybe this is 
uh, blasphemy among bigger Dolls fans than me. You kind of only need the first album. It, it starts off with two just absolute Stone Cold classics, Personality Crisis and Looking for a Kiss. But the whole record is really, really good. Uh, Sylvain died just a few weeks ago. Um, he co-wrote two of the songs on that on that record. Um, he had passed away from cancer, which apparently he had been uh, struggling for with for uh, almost two years now. And you know, it, it's always a shame when you lose a uh, any, you know anybody, but somebody especially. It was really nice to see the New York Dolls kind of get their due way way later you know they were they were sort of an unknown band unless you were living in new york or really up on the sort of um you know underground music scene in the early 70s and then he kind of went away for a while you know he he was a session musician he played with a couple people here and there but then in the early 2000s the new york dolls reunited um and they made at least two records. I think maybe it was three. Um, and you know, got to tour and got to play a lot of shows. And I, I'm I am pissed off at myself that I never got to see the New York Dolls. Oh, um, <laughs> I, I presume I, you've I seen them. Yeah, yeah. Little Stevens Underground Garage Festival uh, was a one day festival on Randall's Island. Oh, okay. But got to see them. Bo Diddley. Uh, oh wow! Shit. Iggy and the Stooges. And uh, as as you're talking about this, I, I, it's hilarious to me. I find a New York Times review that's mentions all three of them and other things, and then in like somewhat critical ways, and then says, "Still, thank goodness for the Strokes." Like, <laughs> what a fucking perfect New York Times music take. Anyway, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, it's fine. No, I did it, get it, to see him and them, uh, so I, I, I'm fortunate for that. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's just nice to see people get their due, even if it's later when their skills maybe have diminished a little bit. You know, I don't think any of those Dolls records from the 21st century hold the candle to the self-titled one. But you know, I also haven't listened to them a ton. I've heard them all, but I haven't listened to them a ton. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong there. But um, you know, one of the cool things about music is that it's not a straight line from one thing to another. You know. Uh, it's it's not like there's just one way that punk rock happened. There were all these different paths that all kind of connected together to make this really interesting thing. And I don't know if that I don't know if punk rock would have looked the same or sounded the same if it wasn't for Sylvain Sylvain. And so so much of the music that I love comes out of that, whether directly or indirectly. Um, you know, they're just an incredibly important band and. I believe this leaves only David Johansson as a living member of the New York Dolls, the original lineup, which is just, you know, just a shame. All these guys gone too soon. Sylvain was 69 years old. And so uh, rest in peace, Sylvain Sylvain. Check out the New York Dolls self-titled record. All right. Well, that does it. For another installment of Mason Avenue Audio, thank you, uh, the show, Mason Avenue Audio, the show. i got to get our full title right there. Uh, th- <laughs> thank you again for listening. We we truly appreciate it. Um, if the Mets make a big move, perhaps we'll be back next week with another episode. If not, we'll see you in two weeks. You can find all of us over at AmazingAvenue.com writing about the Mets. Whenever anything happens, we already have some Aaron Loop news up on the site. Signing is less than an hour old. That's the kind of stuff we try to do for everybody. You can find us on 
Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. This show is on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get podcasts, you can find us. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go Mets.